The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 7 From a payphone, Elijah dialed the phone number of his sister in Austin. Hey, Natalie, how are you? Where have you been? The 20-year-old college student responded. We've been worried sick about you. Why aren't you carrying your cell? Were you there when the explosion went off? All is well, my dear sister, he said cheerfully. He enjoyed her concern. I'm sorry I didn't call sooner. I need a favor. What is it? Throw all that junk you've been collecting out of your spare bedroom. I have some fine Christian folk with me who need a place to stay for a little while. Austin, Texas. Natalie hung up the phone and headed off to her social science class at the University of Texas in Austin. She hated this class, but it was a required course for her education degree. The professor, Mitch Payne, was a card-carrying communist and a liberal activist on many fronts. He enjoyed publicly embarrassing any Christian students who dared to speak up in defense of traditional religion or capitalism. This 50-year-old youthful professor had won a Nobel Peace Prize several years ago for his study of the unification of European countries, and this catapulted him onto the national scene. He was frequently interviewed in the newspaper, radio, and television media for his views, especially after narrowly surviving the explosion at the National Reproductive Rights Convention. It seemed that he had been interviewed on television almost every day since the bombing. Natalie arrived a few seconds late and made herself comfortable in the last row. The Middle Ages and the subsequent Enlightenment era culminated with the emphasis of the individualism of every human being. This evolution was necessary in order to arrest the tyranny of the theocracy and prepare humankind for unity. The professor paused when he saw Nat take her seat at the back of the class. But humanity had not yet realized her evolutionary destiny. Our destiny is oneness. The professor stood behind his lectern, staunch and confident, more like a preacher than a professor. This has been the chief aim, the orgasmic goal, the ultimate end unconsciously sought by human societies throughout all time. Unity. From the mythical story of the Tower of Babel to the global economy, to the most recent advancements in our transition into the North American Union, to the G20's proposals for a world currency, to the increasing popularity of the American card, history is full of this truth. Mankind is evolving to oneness. Now where does the rubber hit the road? Anybody? After a pause, he called out to a young man on the front row who appeared as if he was not paying attention. John? Intercourse? He said instinctively. The class of 400 laughed simultaneously as John winked at the thin blonde beside him. Come on, John, get your mind out of your genitals and back into your cranium where it belongs. Give me an intelligent answer. How does the notion that humankind's evolutionary destiny is unity play out in contemporary society? Um, I'd say the uniting of the independent American states into one nation? Very good. Who here can say that was a bad thing? Professor Payne paused while he took a sip of his bottled spring water. The unifying of the independent states led to a stronger economy, a stronger military, a stronger nation than any state could be apart from the whole. We also saw a stronger, more consistent ethical norm with the abolishment of African-American slavery. Who could deny that the states were better off united than independent? Have you ever heard the saying, class, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? The class nodded. Well, what was true for independent states is also true for independent nations. Anybody else want to give a practical example of how mankind is becoming one? Mary? The United Nations is a step in the right direction. Very good, the professor smiled proudly. The World War left nations divided and suspicious of one another. What was needed was an engaging political force that would serve as an international emancipator from hatred, bigotry, and fear. We needed leaders committed to perfect humanity's evolution into a new world order. Excuse me, Professor Payne? Natalie raised her hand in the back of the class. Most of the class turned back to look at the questioner. Oh no, not again, mumbled a student in the row in front of her. 
Yes, Natalie? Professor Payne acknowledged her raised hand. I love it when this girl embarrasses herself in my class. Are you implying that the United States should make our nation's interests secondary to the interests of the United Nations, which doesn't respect our Bill of Rights? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am saying that. It would ultimately put an end to the bigotry, the arrogance, and the stubborn independence that has characterized almost all wars. It is inevitable in our evolution as a species. Natalie continued, Isn't the leadership of the United Nations largely composed of totalitarian nations and Islamofascists who don't respect the most basic of human rights in freedom of the press or religion or in democratic elections? Phew, I said it, she thought. Normally such an eloquent challenge of Professor Payne's liberal viewpoints would catapult her to cloud nine, but she had learned to be humble around this professor. He had a way of turning the tables on his critics. This comment brings up a very good point. He walked away from the lectern, his bottle of water in hand, and began to pace in the front of the auditorium. Class, when does it become necessary in a democracy to limit the liberties of the people? When the liberties of the few infringe on the liberties of the many? A young woman in the front asked more than answered. Very good. For instance, if a man rapes a woman, civilized nations deprive him of his freedom because he violated the freedom of the rape victim. Like when the Pakistani government, which is a member of the UN Security Council, gives the rape victim a hundred lashes and frees the rapist? Natalie boldly interjected. Ooh, some in the class responded to Natalie's smart aleck comment. Payne looked irritated. Well, nobody's perfect. That understated comment prompted nervous laughs across the room. But that's what evolution does, doesn't it? It's nature pushing us to improve toward perfection. It also pushes us to limit individual freedoms when those freedoms become destructive to the welfare of humanity. Natalie raised her hand again, and the professor nodded at her. Are you saying that it is necessary to do away with constitutional liberties whenever those liberties are considered destructive to the welfare of humanity? He thought about that a few seconds and then replied, Yes. And who is to decide which liberties are tolerable and which are destructive? The professor headed back to his lectern. The consensus can decide. The will of the democracy. Or it could be a courageous leader who quickens us along the course of evolution toward oneness and harmony. What's critical is not the means, Natalie, but the end. What if the consensus or those in power want an evil like slavery or bigamy? Some in the class nodded their head. If leaders can deny constitutional rights on their own whims, how could you condemn a Christian theocrat who wanted to discriminate against gays or atheists? The girl next to Natalie whispered, Good one. Professor Payne rubbed his chin in thought for a moment and decided a red herring would be a suitable response to Natalie's point. Keep in mind, what we Americans consider immoral is not necessarily immoral to all persons in all times. People parented in a different culture and ingrained with a different belief system might not necessarily view these things as immoral. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, Natalie, men like King David, who was a man after God's own heart according to the Bible, had more than one wife and several concubines with God's blessing, did he not? And did not the God of the Jews justify taking the nations they were conquering as slaves? Natalie bit her lip as she searched for a response. Excuse me, let me correct myself. God told the Israelites to destroy all nations in the promised land. Even the babies weren't spared. Man, he wagged his head as he paced in front of the class. Those people must have been really evil if their babies weren't spared, huh? The class giggled irreverently. Israel was allowed to keep the virgins of other conquered nations as slaves or wives. But of course, since God was so loving, his speech was thick with sarcasm and Natalie rolled her eyes in protest. God didn't order those widows to marry their conquerors until after they had mourned the death of their own families for 30 days. Or was it 60 days? Remind me, Natalie. Natalie did not answer. It was times like these that Natalie was especially appreciative for her black skin because she knew that her face was red as a beet by the way her ears and her cheeks warmed with embarrassment. And at least she wouldn't have to defend herself against the accusation of racism in the conversation. That was the consensus then in that culture, the professor said, but now we are changing for the better. Doesn't that make it right in your view? Natalie dared to ask. Excuse me? 
If the consensus determines morality, and if being able to marry prisoners of war was the democratic consensus, then it is right, according to your view. That was the consensus then, said Paine, but thankfully we evolved past the barbarism of the Jews and their bloodthirsty Yahweh, and we are still evolving. Yesterday's virtues, rugged individualism, national independence, unlimited free speech, capitalism, are becoming today's vices, and we will continue our trek toward nirvana. He stretched out his arms and hands to form a meditative pose. Some in the class laughed at his dry humor. National sovereignty and independence must take a back seat to international unity and world peace. The freedoms of the individual must bow to the welfare of the whole. Like the punctuated equilibrium of evolutionary biology, virtue is presently in a state of rapid flux. The virtue of modern humanity is tolerance and acceptance, and it's taking the world by storm. You Christian fundamentalists need to come out of your stupor and smell the cappuccino. The class laughed, and Natalie and the few other Christians prepared for another one of his tirades against Christianity. I think the case could be made that Christian fundamentalism is now being selected against in human society. What once were the benefits of fundamentalism are now the very characteristics that are being selected against. Baby-making wives, criminalized abortion, and homophobia. Think about it. In the Middle Ages, when diseases and wars frequently wiped out large portions of the human population and humanity was largely steeped in illiteracy, fundamentalist religion was necessary to motivate the ignorant and to encourage intellectual progression for one of heaven and fear of hell, and to encourage barefoot and pregnant homemakers to keep on making babies to repopulate society. Homophobia and anti-abortion sentiment are naturally beneficial in a society where so many are dying from disease and war. But now we have not an underpopulation crisis, but an overpopulation crisis. Now homophobia and anti-abortion sexism are being selected against because gays and pro-choicers are nature's best answers for this century's greatest crises, overpopulation and the destruction of the ecosystem. Mankind is evolving away from religious fundamentalism, and the graying generation at the wheel of Rosa Parks' bus needs to join the party or make an appointment with one of Kevorkian's protégés. We are evolving into a new world order. Stopping this progression is like stopping time. He paused for a second, looked at Natalie out of the corner of his eye, and grinned mischievously. Natalie braced for whatever sly comment he planned to spew at her. If you are a fundamentalist and you believe the Bible like Natalie does, you believe that God has stopped time. Believe it or not, there is actually a story in the Bible where God stops time for a day so that Joshua would have more daylight to kill people. The class mumbled in disbelief. It's true. Uh, Natalie, where is that found in the Bible? Natalie shrugged. Come on, Natalie, where does it mention that God stopped the sun from rotating around the earth for a whole day so Joshua could kill some more people in battle? The class looked back at Natalie in pity. She finally responded, the book of Joshua. Oh yes, of course. Now, Natalie, please tell me that you are not so far gone that you actually believe that story. He laughed in mockery. If the earth stopped rotating around the sun, life could no longer exist. I mean, you don't have to be an astronomer to know that. The class began to chuckle and Natalie looked down in shame. It was a miracle, her mind rebutted, though she couldn't convince her lips to say it. Can't a supernatural being do the supernatural? That was an effective response in her opinion, but she would no longer try to debate this professor in anything. He had a chip on his shoulder when it came to Christianity, and it frequently crushed the toes of those who dared to challenge him in front of the class. Natalie's religious faith takes precedence over fact and reason because the salvation of her soul is predicated on the accuracy of a scientifically implausible book of fantastic fiction. The snickers around the room were suppressed somewhat due to the sense of embarrassment that the class felt for Professor Payne's favorite punching bag. But those intellectually inclined among us instinctively reject such fairy tales. The most offensive thing about fundamentalists is that they actually take themselves seriously. They make public claims and yet reject public criticism. They reason in circles, he said as he spun his finger around in the air, appealing to the Bible to defend the Bible. God did it, they say. How do they know? God told them. Huh? The class snickered at the professor's blasphemy. Fundamentalist Christianity is a rotting corpse and will be a fossil in just a few generations. 
Natalie forced herself to listen. For at least the hundredth time, she decided, I am not saying anything in this classroom ever again. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com. O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.